This is Soccer Power Half Hour, part of the Armchair All-Americans Podcast Network, with your hosts Sam Henschel and Justin Davies. Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Soccer Power Half Hour, part of the Armchair All-Americans Podcast Network. I am Sam Henschel, alongside my co-host Justin Davies, and we're here today to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in the world of soccer this week. Now, first up, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the end of the transfer window. We talked a little bit about transfers last week. The transfer window has closed, but some big money moves are taking place, and we have to talk about them specifically what's going on in China. Now, there are a lot of players who have moved from big-name leagues, and big-name players have moved to China in the summer window and the winter window. Specifically, we have players like Alex Teixeira, who moved uh, for $37.5 million, Ramirez from Chelsea for $21 million, Jackson Martinez, $22.5 million, Freddy Guarín, $8 million, Paulinho, Dembaba, Robinho, Asamoah Jean, Gervinho, Joe. These are all players that you've heard of before, all players that you've known before. Of course, those numbers all in pounds. Uh, it's just incredible that the Chinese league has come out of nowhere and pulled all this money and have signed all these players. I mean, Justin, what do you think about this? Yeah, Sam, truly incredible. The Chinese League has really stole the show this time. They're signing not just old players, but they're signing quality players in their prime, like an Alex Teixeira, a player who Liverpool wanted so badly they coveted him. Just a couple weeks ago, China got, got him now. He's, they got him on the same team as Ramirez. You know, he's a Brazilian international. He's a solid player. He's below his 30s. Jackson Martinez has had a rough start to his campaign. Another solid player, though, and I think China's really making a statement that they're not just here to sign old players. They're here to sign young, quality players, and this is really making a statement to world football. I think that's definitely exactly what it's doing, and I think in the end, uh, I've read a lot of stuff saying that this move by them, this sort of money push, is something that they're doing to try and secure a World Cup in the next 10 to 15 years, and I wouldn't be surprised... If it doesn't happen, I mean, and by 10 to 15 years, I mean not the next two upcoming World Cups, which have already been decided, but the ones after that. So 2026, 2030, 2034, all of those up for grabs right now. They're sort of gunning for that spot to be the next sort of country to have their first World Cup. Well, Sam, if you look at the Chinese international team, they haven't had much success. Soccer isn't really, or football isn't really a developed game there. And they're doing what America has done before. They're bringing in high-profile players. They're establishing the game in the country. And with this, they're going to develop their own local talent as well. Maybe send out a couple of their players into other leagues. This is a good move for them because if they have some high-profile teams, they can for sure get that next World Cup. We know that they have the money for it. So I think this is exactly what they're doing. And it's a great move by China. Hats off to them. Yeah, I definitely think it's important to note that they're coming into a place where there are leagues, like you said, in the U.S., in MLS, that are trying to do this, that are trying to bring in these players who are towards the end of their career for some money, give them a last payday, a chance at some fame, some stardom, and some easy playing. And and in the end, China's won up that. They've gone out, the Super League has said, well, we're going to get players who are in their prime, we're going to pay top dollar for them, and we're going to bring them in at whatever cost. And I think that MLS should, should be looking at this and should be a little afraid because this is their market. This is their market for their players, what's bringing in the views, what's bringing them the money. And to see the Super League go out and do this, I, I would think that Don Garber would have to be seriously rethinking his plan for the future of MLS. You know, Sam, they've tried to do this in the past and they've actually made a good effort for it. 
You know, if you look at Sebastian Giovinco, he's another player they signed in his quality, his prime. You also look at Giovanni Dos Santos, another great player. They've signed a couple South America talents and Central America talents as well. But yeah, like you said, China's one up in them. They're doing it even better. And I'm, I would not be surprised to see America and the MLS make a couple more aggressive moves to sign those players in the future. If China can get them, why can't LA? Why can't Miami? Why can't New York? Why can't these big market cities or these cooler, smaller market cities like Portland grab a big player? I think it's definitely possible. And I do think Don Don Garber's got some things running through his head right now, Sam. Well, I think some of the problem is down to the salary cap and the way that the salary cap is structured in MLS and the way that, that each club is a franchise. And the MLS owns, basically, the negotiating rights and the contract of every single player in the MLS. So when a player signs with a team in the MLS, they don't sign with that team. They don't sign with LA. They don't sign with Seattle. They sign with MLS and are assigned to LA, assigned to Seattle. If you remember uh, last year, Jermaine Jones came into the league, wanted to go to Chicago he was thrown into a draft with two teams and ended up going to New England. It, that sort of thing it just doesn't help that image. And the salary cap, the way that it's set up, the way that they're pushing money around, they're funneling it around so that they can open up more of those designated player spots, you know, the Beckham rule, the big-name players coming in to get as much money as they could possibly want. And the only thing that that's hurting is the is the low-level, and, and by low-level, I mean low-level compared to super superstar standard, the low-level American players that are getting nothing on the dollar for what they want, and the teams can only bring in three or four big names. And I think that that sort of hurts their chance to replicate this success. I completely agree. I mean, some of these players are making minimum wage by professional sports standards, you know, Sam. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely a big problem they have in the MLS. And I do think that they're going to start to rethink their strategy a little bit. I, uh, they've seen some success with even Portland Timbers this year with no true superstars in their team. They're still making a quality team, fielding a quality team. But yeah, I think the next big move for the MLS is to get the salary caps going, start having some teams like in baseball that can pull in some of the best talents in the world. That's why a lot of the leagues here in America have the best talents in the world because we have the money, we have the resources, and we're able to do that. I think when soccer is ready to challenge some of the other big sports for TV time and viewers and take that next big step, they're going to do it. And I think China is putting pressure on them for that. Well, I mean, we've already seen that the Premier League can draw viewers in this country. We've seen that they can do it in modest numbers, numbers that are at least better than, you know, hockey numbers and, and low-level baseball numbers. So I, I think that perhaps soon that level of prominence could come if MLS pulls the right strings and moves forward the way that they should be. Okay, so enough about MLS, enough about the Chinese Super League. Let's talk about what we're here to talk about, the Premier League. So... The Premier League has designed a new logo. You've seen it. I've seen it. They're all over the place. You can look it up. It's something minimalistic, something pretty simple, colorful, but at the same time understated. A lot of people are saying the new lion looks a little like Simba from The Lion King, but I like it. I think it's something good. What are your thoughts on the new logo? Yeah, Sam, I completely agree with you. I think it does look a little bit like Simba, but I think the other Premier League logo, the one of old, was super iconic, something that everyone recognized. I do like the new logo. It's a good look. It's a sharp look. I think it's going to go along with them and their anti-branding and anti-sponsorship campaigns that they've been <laughs> suggesting to put forward. So I think it's definitely worth a shot, Sam. And just to clarify, when you say anti-branding, you mean anti-branding on the league. Of course, teams will still maintain their sponsorships on their shirts, stadiums, whatnot. But the league from next year on will no longer be called Barclays Premier League. It will no longer be called any sort of Premier League. It will just be the Premier League. And a lot of people are sort of saying, well, this is interesting, right? Uh, this is a revenue stream that the league's been bringing in. It's one that they've been taking out. 
and people are sort of sitting there saying, okay, that's fine, but right now we're in a place, and we'll segue to our next topic, in a place where ticket increases, and, and specifically the, the protests that happened at Anfield last week. I mean, they walked out of the stadium in the 77th minute to protest, and they meant it. I mean, they left. They said they were going to, and they left, and they lost. Well, they drew, but it's a lose, really, for the club, because they see that their fans really care. And... At the same time, you can see, now it may just be a coincidence, you take a revenue stream out, you raise ticket prices. Now, some people might make a connection between those two. I don't really think there is, but I think right now, you want to make sure that you get your fans happy with your product before you change your identity. When you change your identity to shield the fact that you have problems going on, that's just going to make the diehard fans angrier. If they were to square away their issues internally first before they were to do this rebanding, they'd be in a much better position as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Sam, I completely agree with you. When you say you'll never walk alone, those Liverpool fans, they're certainly right. That's a powerful statement those fans were sending. I believe that was the first walkout in over 100 years at one of their stadiums. I mean, they really made a message. They really showed that they're not with this new system. And um, I don't blame them, honestly, Sam. Those are players, these are people that have waited years to be on these season ticket lists. They've waited plenty of hours if they weren't on the season ticket list to get tickets to the match, and now they're starting to increase the price. I don't think it's fair, and I think they're definitely sending a message, and I think other clubs' supporters' sections may soon follow. And what I think a lot of people from around the world don't understand is the way the television works there. The way it works is the regular Saturday 3 p.m. kickoffs in British time, which is, I believe, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, those aren't shown on television. They're not. You can't get them on British television. You either have to be at the match or you're watching Soccer Saturday with the guys who are watching it on their monitors and telling you what's happening or you're watching it illegally. You're streaming it online. Tons of people do that. But the only matches that are on are the ones that are in the morning and the ones that are late at night here in the East Coast. So the the noon kickoffs and the late kickoffs and the weekday kickoffs. So all of these matches, you can't watch them on television. It seems like they would maybe fix that before you raise ticket prices. I mean, people are getting disgruntled because this is their only option. This is the only way they can watch a majority of the games that their team plays. And it seems ridiculous to say that we're going to raise this out of the spectrum that the average fan that will show up to the stadium who lives in the area, who's a local fan, can pay for just so we can get people from other countries and other areas who have that money to come in and ruin the stadium atmosphere. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, Sam, these guys don't exactly have NFL red zone with Premier League. You know, these guys cannot watch the games on the TV. This is their life. This is their weekend. And like I said, these fans are waiting for years in order to get on the season ticket list. I think it's a bad move. And the only thing I think it does promote is online streaming, which is a huge problem for any sport in general. So, Sam, I think this is a bad move. And I think the Premier League is going to be stepping on their toes a little bit with this one. And it's certainly not a coincidence that, that at the same time, David Cameron, the Prime Minister, is on a huge crusade against online streaming of sports. I'll just say that. Anyways, more about the Premier League. We're talking about the top four this week. Now, the top four as we see it, Leicester on top, Tottenham just under them, tied with Arsenal but have a better goal difference, and Man City just barely behind them with one point less at 47. Now, this is a big week for the top four. The top four match up against each other. Spurs, Man City, play each other. Leicester, Arsenal, play each other. Big, huge 
decider in terms of whose chances for immediate qualification of the Champions League group stage in the top three and who will settle for a playoff spot in fourth or maybe get pressure from the team in fifth, Man United, to drop out of that top four place. It also would help cement Leicester's chance for a title if they win and Spurs happen to lose. Or Spurs could get their way back into the title race with a win and a Leicester and Arsenal draw. All of this is possible. What do you see happening, Justin? You know, Sam, it's funny. Right after the Super Bowl, we got another big weekend for sports, but it's in the in the real football this time. Two high-key matchups here. This has major title implications. Arsenal-Leicester City, big-time matchup. Like, like we said, Arsenal is sitting in third on goal differential, but they could climb up. The other game that's, that has big title implications is Manchester City and Tottenham. Last game, we all know Tottenham famously beat them 4-1 to at White Hart Lane. Big-time result for Tottenham and the Tottenham faithful. A lot of people around the Tottenham organization are saying if they're easier that they could do it. They've had some talented teams in the past with Modric and Bale in recent memory, but this could be the year. A lot of people are starting to believe that this could be the year for Tottenham. They need to beat Man City, and they need to hope for Arsenal to get a result against Leicester. Anything goes this weekend, and we might have a little bit more clearer of a picture about the Premier League after this weekend, Sam. I would totally agree with that, and I think that you know the onus right now is on Leicester and on Spurs to maybe pull away as the favorites for the top two positions and leave Arsenal and Man City in a little bit of a hole. I mean, a win over Man City would put Spurs four clear of them, and a draw between Leicester and Arsenal would put them three off the title. And this is something that we haven't heard in a long time, but Spurs own the goal difference tiebreaker over every single team in the league. They have 26, Leicester has 20, Man City has 21, Arsenal only has 17. I mean, this is a team that's doing stuff that a Tottenham team hasn't done in recent memory, and it's incredible to watch, and their secret may be that Leicester is taking all the attention. No one expected Leicester to be doing what Leicester is doing, what Claudio Ranieri was able to do, what Jamie Vardy, Riyad Mahrez, all these guys have put together, and it's taking the pressure off these other teams that no one is really looking at. No one's really looking at Spurs that hard. They're saying, oh, they're going to finish top four, that's great, but no one's really looking at them as title contenders at the moment, and I think that's their big secret. I think the longer Leicester keep it up, as long as Spurs keep within touching distance, the better chance they have to pip them at the end. And I think that that's very important. Yeah, Sam, I completely agree. I mean, the only thing that could stop Tottenham being close to first place from being the biggest story would be a Hollywood story like Leicester City. I mean, they, they need to stay within uh, striking distance. They're for sure under the radar. But a lot of people are feeling that like this could be the year. Harry Kane's really stepped up and a couple other guys in the organization. Huming Son has come in. And he's been a great addition to the team. And I do think, I agree with you, Sam, that if they can stay within striking distance, they have that goal differential so much more, such a sturdy goal differential, that as long as their defense isn't impacted by the absence of Yen Vertonghen, that they can definitely sneak into that first place spot on the final day. And I, I think that's what they should be looking to do. Now, we talked about the top four, and we talked about fifth place. I mentioned just briefly Manchester United sitting in fifth, 41 points. West Ham is just behind them with 39. Both of those teams are maybe within distance of the top four if Man City lose this weekend. Do you see either of those teams making a late run to try and get into the top four, make it to Champions League football? Not so much West Ham, but maybe Man United. Well, Sam, we were just talking about that goal differential, that Tottenham, it's seen them get so much results. Manchester United is currently sitting at 10. So if you look at the top four, 
Leicester with 20, Tottenham with 26, Arsenal with 17, Manchester City with 21, Manchester United, this is where they're falling below. This is the difference for them. 10 is their goal difference here, which isn't bad, but it's not the numbers that Manchester United want to see. I don't think they have the ability to do it right now. Theoretically, they're only within six points of Manchester City, and if Manchester City were to lose to Tottenham, they'd be a little bit closer, but I don't think they're going to be able to make that run, Sam. And I think I agree with you on this. I mean, you look at the percentages, a lot of the underlying statistics, the chances put the current top four at a greater than 85% chance, somewhere around 88 to 90% of those four teams finishing as the top four in any order. And Manchester United has 25% chance to pull this off. And so you look at the statistics, it just doesn't fall their way. Now, of course, Manchester United has figured out how to beat the statistics before, but that certainly wasn't with a team that's sort of struggling the way that this team has been struggling in parts of the season. I I just don't think they have it in them to make that run. No, they don't. This has been an up and down year for them. And I don't think the team that they have on the field right now, this team has it in them. Now, the other thing that we have to be paying attention to is European competition, the Champions League, the Europa League, both of these big-time competitions starting back up next week, the round of 16 in the Champions League, round of 32 in the Europa League. I personally think that Champions League sides that finish third place in their group should not drop down to the Europa League at all, but that's a story for another day. Let's just talk about the matches coming up. First of all, big matchups in the Champions League, right? Roma, Real Madrid, PSG and Chelsea, Arsenal, Barcelona, Juve and Bayern Munich, Man City, Dynamo Kiev, PSV, Atletico Madrid, Benfica and Zenit, and Ghent and Wolfsburg. Now, some of those don't have the star power that maybe some of the others do, but there's certainly teams in there that are looking for something. I I think the team with the most to lose right now is Chelsea. I mean, they're certainly not making that run at top four. They can't do it. I really don't think they can. They may be able to make a run at top six, perhaps get into the Europa League, maybe get into seventh, get lucky based on who wins the League Cup or who wins the FA Cup and the way those rules work. But this is their real chance to stay relevant in a summer where they're going to be losing out a little bit in terms of just prestige and available competitions. And they come up against a PSG team that's absolutely dominant in France. I mean, just completely destroying Ligue 1. Zlatan is Zlatan, and the rest of that team is just so good that I just don't see how Chelsea could figure it out, even if they put everything behind it. Yeah, Sam, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. These are two teams with completely different seasons right here. Chelsea's looking to stay relevant, and they need to win the Champions League to get themselves back in, just like they did famously a couple years ago to screw Tottenham. They need to do that again this year. And with everybody wanting out of Chelsea, maybe a Champions League run would be the thing to keep that team together. PSG, on the other hand, they've added big-time signings. They've added Di Maria and the likes of Lucas. They need to stay relevant as well. They need to make a deep run in the competition to prove that they are a European superpower. They need to beat teams like Chelsea. They're going to be looking to take home the gold this year, and this is a matchup that they need to win. Another matchup I like, Sam, is Roma and Real Madrid. Seems like a little bit more of a lower-profile matchup. I know we got Juventus and Bayern. We'll talk about that later. But Roma-Real Madrid. Roma's been a very good team this year. Let's not look overlook them here. And Real Madrid has some problems. This will be Zidane's first Champions League match. It'll be an interesting storyline, I think. I agree with that. I think we saw what Juventus did to Real Madrid last year, right? Alvaro Morata, a Real Madrid player, came back, scored a couple goals, put them out. They'll definitely want to be a little bit more aware of what's going on 
than than they were the last time because they sort of took it for granted. They said, oh, we're going to make it, and that's sort of the end of it. And that was what messed them up. And as long as they don't let that get to them here, they should be just fine. Yeah, Sam, another matchup that teams are going to be wanting to uh, make a statement on is Arsenal and Barcelona. Arsenal's been ha- having so much success as of recent. I know they're sitting third, but like we talked about, they're within striking distance of that Premier League title. A lot of people think they can make a run in the Champions League as well. And this is their chance to make a huge statement against the best team in world football right now in Barcelona. Well, there are two things I know. One, and I love to bring it up, is that Tottenham has made a Champions League quarterfinal more recently than Arsenal has. And two is that Luis Enrique's first 100 games at Barcelona is the best first 100 games of any Barcelona manager ever. Better than Pep, better than Cruyff, better than anyone else. He is having that team perform at such a level that I wouldn't be surprised if they won the treble again. I mean, they're so good. Messi is incredible. Neymar is understatedly incredible. Yes, people know that he's great. Yes, he might be the third best player. But secretly, he is incredible. Suarez got out of the way of biting people and being a diva, and he does something on the field that's just amazing. And in the back and in the middle and everywhere, you can't find a real weak link in this Barcelona team. And it's incredible considering they couldn't bring anyone in for almost a year due to that transfer ban. I mean, they still have players who are coming in now as well to add to this team that's just absolutely the best team in the world at the moment. And I just don't see how Arsenal could stack up. I just, I mean, I understand that there's a way for competition to occur and for teams to pull off wins that that maybe they shouldn't, like Chelsea against Barcelona and Bayern in that 2012 Champions League, which I don't know why I keep bringing it up because it keeps making me upset. But, I mean, it just doesn't seem like Arsenal compared to Barcelona. I definitely think Alexis Sanchez is going to have a little bit of bad taste in his mouth and something to prove against his former team in Barcelona. But yeah, Sam, I completely agree with you. You know, it's hard to think of Neymar being underrated, but that's just how good this Barcelona team is. And I think that even though they couldn't really bring in any players, they did get to bring in Turan and Vidal, like you said, but they didn't get a play. This team actually got better. So I think that's going to be a huge matchup. I think Arsenal could try to pull an upset like they did against Bayern Munich last year in at least one of those games. But I think overall Barcelona is going to sweep the floor at them. Let's look at the next match here, Sam. Juventus, Bayern Munich. Give me your thoughts. Well, Juve is good. They, of course, made it to the final last year. And they're returning a lot of those same players, a lot of the team that's that's really great. But, of course, they're missing the centerpiece. And that centerpiece is Andrea Pirlo. And, I mean, Andrea Pirlo, what he did for Juventus has just been incredible. I mean, he's he's come back from when people said he was done and there was nothing left in the tank. And this was a few years ago, and he went to Juve, and he won titles. He's gotten to the Champions League final. He's made stuff happen, and he proved that he still had it. And without him, they sort of just lose that impetus, that sort of experience. I know they still have Buffon. I know they still have players like Morata who were scoring for them. But it just seems like without Pirlo, they can't make it happen. Yeah, Sam. Along with Pirlo, they also lost Vidal to the other team, Bayern Munich. He's going to be looking to play against his old team as well. And these are two very experienced. I mean, people were saying Arturo Vidal might be the best box-to-box midfielder in the world. These are two players that are very experienced, and they had Paul Pogba underneath their tutelage, which is what I think was so instrumental in their success last year. Bayern Munich is firing on all cylinders, even though the Bundesliga has been... Very competitive this year, and they had a competitive game against Chicharito and Leverkusen on the weekend. I think that they're going to 
get the positive result in this game. I, I think it's going to be a close game, but I do see them getting uh, going through past Juventus. Okay, now we've talked about the big-time Champions League matchups. Let's talk about the big-time Europa League matchups. I know it's a little bit less of a competition, but there's still some good names to be talked about. Of course, Fiorentina and Tottenham, Dortmund and Porto, Fenerbahce, Lokomotiv, Anderlecht, Olympiacos, Midland, Manchester United, Augsburg, Liverpool, Sparta, Krasnodar, Galatasaray, Lazio, Sion, Braga, Don. Shakhtar Donetsk and Schalke, Marseille, Bilbao, Sevilla, Molde, Sporting Portugal, Bayer Leverkusen, Villarreal, Napoli, Saint Etienne, Basel, Valencia, and Vienna. Now, we won't talk about all of those. That's a very long list. You can look them all up yourself. We'll talk about the best two or three and let you hear. So let's start with the one that's on top of my list personally, and probably yours as well, Fiorentina and Tottenham. Yeah, Sam, big game. Very, very, very questionable matchup here. Tottenham are going to come off the game against Manchester City at the weekend, play Fiorentina. Are they going to, are they going to want to field their best team here? Or are they going to save it for the title fight? They're in Champions League for next year. This is going to be an interesting time to see the team that Tottenham fields. Maybe it might be some of those youngsters we talked about last week, Cameron Carter-Vickers. But make no mistake, this game is going to be one to circle on your calendars as well. And of course, you'd think that Spurs are probably looking for a little bit of revenge. Last year, at a stage a little bit more advanced than this one, they went out to Fiorentina in two legs. It wasn't that great of a performance from a Spurs team that was sort of in the middle of a late-season collapse that started a little bit later than right now, in the middle of February, the beginning of March. And it sort of will be indicative of whether or not they're the real deal for a full season. If they can keep it up, if they can beat this Fiorentina team, they can move forward and they can prove that in multiple competitions they have enough squad depth they have enough good players to pull through and to actually compete heavily in all three competitions they're in of course the other one being the FA Cup yeah Sam this is a real validity test for them they can make a valid statement that they're not just here in the Premier League this isn't just a fluke where you know a lot of people will be talking because last year's in first place right now they're going to make a statement that they're here for European football and that they're ready for the Champions League next season which they will presumably make at this point so I think it's a very big game for them. I do think they're going to field a very strong team. I think they might be a little bit tired this first leg from that Manchester City clash, but it'll be exciting nonetheless. Another matchup I want to talk about this week, guys, Dortmund-Porto. Great matchup. What are your thoughts about this one, Sam? Well, I mean, Dortmund is by far and away the second best team in Germany. We know that. They're by far and away producing on a level that's just absolutely better than what they were producing at the beginning under Klopp last year. It's more like the team that rescued the season and able were able to finish in a Europa League place, and they've sort of taken it by storm, and they've said, hey, we are Borussia Dortmund. We are the team that made it to the Champions League final not too many years ago, and we are back, and we want to make a statement, and I, if I was any team in the field, I would be very afraid of their need to make this statement and come back, and I think they're the best team remaining. Yeah, Sam, they're my early favorite to win it as well, unless Tottenham or Sevilla do get a good team together. I know Sevilla is so dangerous in this competition. Going back to Dortmund, though, yes, you're completely right. This is not the same team that they fielded in the Champions League final a couple years ago, but this team still has a couple of those key players. They've produced a lot of their younger players, and they still look very, very good. I think Porto should be scared. I think it's going to be a good matchup nonetheless, but I do see Dortmund firing on all cylinders and sweeping past Porto in this one. All right, let's talk about the other two English teams left in the competition. Uh, Middleland against Manchester United and Augsburg against Liverpool. Liverpool, of course, going out in the FA Cup to West Ham after extra time on Tuesday. So this is what they have left along with the Premier League 
and the League Cup final. So what do you think about their chances against Augsburg? Call that one against West Ham, didn't I, Sam? You might have, yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I do think that uh, I do think this is a good matchup for Liverpool. I think it's going to be a confidence booster for them. Kind of like Dortmund, this is the matchup. This is the competition that they need to make a statement in. They need to win. Their season's been lost. Jurgen Klopp's in. This is how he's going to make his mark on the team if they can make a deep run in this competition. I'd be scared if I was FC Augsburg. I think this is a, the kind of match where guys like Christian Benteke can get a little bit more confidence back. I pretty much agree with what you're saying here. I think Liverpool has to make a statement. They have to really focus on this, I think, more than anything else. Of course, they'll want to focus one game on the League Cup final. That's one game. But in the end, you know, this is where they are. They'll probably want to focus on securing qualification to this competition again next year or trying to win this and get to the Champions League next year. But I think that they'll be looking to make a statement. And Augsburg have sort of fallen off a little bit from the team that was very surprising last season. I don't think they they have it. I think this will be a very close matchup and then let's talk about Manchester United of course we've talked about them we talked about their run at top four maybe maybe not going to happen we've talked about their squad a little bit on the boring side they'll be playing a mid-level Danish side Midtjylland I think they should probably roll on this one but you never know yeah, Sam, they should roll. I think they're in a similar situation as Tottenham. Even though a lot of people are downing them, I know they do believe themselves that they could make a late run for the title. I don't know if they're going to feel their best team, but even without their best team, I think they're going to roll. They got some talented youngsters. I see Man United seeing them through. All right, well, that just about does it for us. For Justin, I am Sam. Thank you very much for listening to us and our second episode. You can catch us on the Armchair All-American SoundCloud. You might be able to catch us on YouTube. We'll definitely post something on the website when the podcast goes up on Thursday, and you should be able to catch us every Thursday from now on. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.